You're listening to the Talking OTC Commodities podcast series, brought to you by the Global Commodities Team at EEX Group. Hi, and welcome to episode two of Talking OTC Commodities. I'm Giles Paley-Phillips, and today I'm joined by the Senior Manager, Group Strategy at EEX, Richard Heath. We'd like to discuss how exchanges can add value in an increasingly competitive environment. Hi, Richard. Hi, Giles. So let's kick off by talking a bit about exchanges. In a nutshell, what are exchanges? Well, for those who are not fully familiar with the concepts, an exchange provides a centralized, regulated platform which is safe and secure, where organizations can come and trade contracts to minimize the risks that they have in their everyday business, particularly pricing risks. In addition, the exchange removes counterparty risks from transactions. So rather than facing another uh, person, you're facing the exchange. And also the exchange adds a network benefit to all of its members. The exchange as a whole has a far broader network than any individual can hope to reach. And so by continuously growing that network and bringing new trading opportunities, the exchange adds value to all of its members. So there are multiple exchanges around the world. That's right, yes. So would I be right in thinking they all offer the same thing? There's many similarities between the services that different exchanges offer. Um, Slight differences in terms of regulatory jurisdiction, depending on where the exchange is located. Um, But broadly, the concept is similar to all. And that's why we think it's really, really important to look beyond that concept and see what it is that we can do which is extra and above that to add value for our members. So with that in mind, Richard, it begs the question, how do you add value? Well, from my point of view, there's a number of different strings to this or a number of different points. So at EEX, one of our core beliefs is in building our business around our clients. And this affects everything from who we deploy into the market and where we deploy them. In global commodities, we have a real depth of experience in the freight market in our personnel. We have people that have been FFA traders, people that have worked as brokers in the market, people that have worked in the physical shipping market. And between us, we have over 30 years of combined experience in trading and clearing freight derivatives. I think it's fair to say that we're the most experienced freight team in the exchange market. But of course, it's not good enough just to have the right people. You have to put them in the right places. In Freights, we have a lot of clients based in Europe, a good number of clients based in Asia, and also some clients in London and a big broking community in London. And so when we deploy our team, we match the footprint of the market. So we have client-facing staff in Europe, a team in Asia, and also a team in London. And this means that our clients always have someone available in their time zone to talk to should they have any issues, should they need more information just to service their business. But the way we deploy our team goes beyond our client-facing personnel. There's a huge number of people that work in this business um, that are a step or maybe two steps removed from the clients, people that the general market might not see on a day-to-day basis. So we have a dedicated product development function, you know, people that have been in the shipping industry for a long time and looking at the best blend of products and services that we deploy to our clients. We have myself in the group strategy team, 
thinking about the freight market, the global commodities markets, and how these fit in and shape the future of the business as a whole. We have a dedicated communications function. We have dedicated market operations functions, both in Asia, in Singapore, but also in Europe. So we cover the full spectrum of trading hours of all of our clients globally. And it's this approach of having dedicated teams with expertise through all layers of our business and deployed close to our clients, which we really believe as EEX adds value. And how long does it take you to roughly put together such a, a team, an experienced team like this? Well, I mean, it depends entirely, entirely on the market. Um, generally, we would find that um, putting the team together, it, that takes a little bit of time. Mm. You have to find the right personalities. We have to find the people with the blend of the right experience and those that will also um, be able to work very closely with the clients. So the people part of the business actually is one of the, the most difficult parts to get right. An example of how we build our business around our clients and how we make them central to the strategy is the working groups that EEX has throughout all of its asset classes. This is a forum where in freight we bring all of our members together, the clients who are working on our markets. Um, we structure it so that we have a good representation of all different parts of the markets. We have some of our largest clients, uh, some of our smaller clients, people who exclusively manage risk, people who speculate, to get a broad swathe of all of the interest in the market. What are the sorts of things that come up in those kind of working groups? What are the challenges that most clients face? So it really, it really changes quarter to quarter with, with the business. Um, and the point of the working group is to remain close to what's going on in the business. Mm -hmm. So if we take the example of freight. Freight is a relatively new commodity to EEX group. So some of the structures have not been in place as long as they have been in other asset classes. When we began with the freight working committees, the focus was really on ensuring that we had accurately set up the products to match the market risk. So the discussions were around trading hours, daily valuations, um, whether the product portfolio really covered the full spectrum of risks that the clients had. As we progressed in the business, we started to look for additional value. So the second set of working committees were on what was missing from the market. You know, you can sit down in front of the client and say, is there something that you would love to have which you don't have today? Or you do have, but is a lot of work to get hold of. And particularly something that the exchange, as a central counterparty in the market, would have access to that individual clients may not. So often this is uh, some form of market data that comes from these discussions. Um, it may be anonymized information about the setup of the market itself, how many new participants we see coming into the market, how many we see exiting, whether we see a change in the geographical spread of our members. Do we see more people trading freight in Asia? Do we see um, more in Europe? How's the balance changing over time? So these are all interesting bits of information that the exchange will have access to, which we can share with our clients to help them have a fuller picture of the market. Of course, there's big industry issues as well, which 
you know, come out of the blue and which we mm -hmm. have no control over. Um, regulatory issues, uh, major changes to market structures. And here the working committee really serves as a fantastic forum to discuss with our clients how we handle these. So a big example of this in recent, I was going to say recent years, but it's probably the last two years mm -hmm. really where it's really been in focus is the change in the sulfur regulations in mm -hmm. marine fuels, um, the IMO 2020 regulations yeah. as it's known in the market. Um, this really had the potential to have a huge impact on the market. And if we didn't have a dedicated forum in place to sit down with our clients and discuss the right way forward to handle these changes, it would have been much more difficult to make the decisions that we made for ourselves and for the market. Uh, for those listening who don't know much about the sulphur, um, <laughs> I can say the, sulfur, the great sulphur incident, but can you tell me a bit more about that particular challenge and how EEX has worked? Absolutely. So a, a very basic background on the issue for those that don't know. Um, for a number of years, um, the IMO, the International Maritime Organization, has been working on improving the environmental credentials of the shipping industry. So they have a, a convention which is called MARPOL, which is all about the regulation of pollution from ships. And this covers many different aspects of the shipping industry from ballast water treatment mm -hmm. um, now to emissions, basically. And so there has been, over the last 15 years, steps to slowly reduce the maximum sulfur content of marine fuels to manage the emissions that come from ships. There's emission control areas in the world. These are local zones where vessels can only burn certain amounts of uh, sulfur in their fuel. But the big thing about IMO 2020 is that it's a global standard and it's actually an 80% reduction in the maximum sulfur content of fuel globally. So it's by far the largest sulfur reduction that the shipping industry has mm. had to face. Now, this has a huge impact on all areas of the industry, from refiners who produce the fuel, through to the machinery side of the industry. What systems do you put in place in your vessel to manage emissions? Even how do you start to burn a new fuel, it affects the scheduling of the vessels in terms of when they have to dry dock. And of course, there is a potential for it to have an effect on the rates in the market as well. So for us as an exchange, it was really important that we made sure we heard how this was going to impact our clients. And from the options that were on the table to maintain the contract structure we had, add new contracts, uh, change other parts of, of the infrastructure that we provide, it was really important to make sure we made the right choices that would provide the best service to the majority of the market. Another function of the working committees is, of course, to talk about product innovation and adding new services, as well as the questions of how do we maintain the market status quo for the benefit of all. Of course, we need to think about where the market's going, what we can add, what is the needs of the client for tomorrow. And so this is a key function as well of these forums. And Richard, for you personally, how do you benefit from these working groups? Well, actually, I benefit enormously from them and I, I really, really enjoy them. 
Um, as I said, we deploy our client-facing teams very, very close to the clients, and they interact with clients continuously every single day. In group strategy, we're one step back from, from that interaction. Um, but of course, we can't shape the future of the exchange without the feedback from the clients. And so for me to have a personal face-to-face -face interaction with the members of our business who transact in our markets, it's, it's invaluable. It's, it's great. You've talked a bit about the working groups and the benefit of them. Could you tell me a bit about some of the projects that have evolved out of them? Yeah, uh, absolutely. I can give several examples of these. So let's start with maybe something for the options market. So we've talked a lot in our freight working committees about the options market in freight, um, how that market's growing, and what's really needed to help new players come into that market so that we can grow the liquidity for everybody. People who are very, very sophisticated traders and really, really understand all of the tools at their disposal, there was, to be honest, not a huge amount of value that we could add. So we had to go back to thinking about the core proposition of the exchange. And this is, I'm talking about the network that the exchange can grow here. So if I can't help a very sophisticated trader trading options, um, I can help them by bringing new options traders into the market so that they have more counterparties to work with. So our focus in options really moved to uh, new players into that segment or smaller organizations, people who have less internal resource to leverage when looking at markets. And so we looked for the gaps that we could maybe help fill with the resource that we have as an exchange. Now to do this, we developed a number of tools. Um, one was a very simple thing, and sometimes it can be something that's really easy that adds value. And this was just a simple daily options report. So looking at what we know in the market, all of the data sources that are available to us, we had some colleagues in our Singapore office create an options report, which we then send out to the market at the beginning of the European business day. Now, of course, when we look at the way we've deployed our team, with a big team in Singapore, we have a time advantage on Europe. And so that enables us to provide some services that happen right at the beginning of the day. Just as European traders are on their way to work, they want to understand what's going on in the market we give them resources to help them with that process. Then we looked at how we could add a little bit of sophistication to these tools. So because we have uh, an integrated trade chain, we talked about digitizing the trade chain in the last podcast. Because we have this trade chain, we can provide a number of services to clients off the back of the information that we capture every single day. Now, one of these was about how to manage the options portfolio they have once they've started creating them. So once a trader has put on an options position, they have to manage that position to ensure that it continues to meet its original needs. And one of the tools that they have to do with this is delta hedging. Now, we can, as an exchange, we calculate the delta of all the options positions every day in the clearinghouse. As the exchange, we can take that information and we can transpose it to the clients. We can then overlay that with the portfolio that they have and provide them a daily changing number which shows them what their delta position is within our clearinghouse. And this give, gives them a very easy way to manage that position and hedge that delta 
but cuts down on the work that they might have to do themselves. And as I said, for organizations who have less resource available to them internally, some of these time-saving or resource-saving steps that we can take relatively easily through automation of the data we already have can really add a lot of value. Another example we could give is position monitoring. Again, this is not necessarily groundbreaking innovation. It's about simply using the data that we have to make the lives of our clients easier and to make the ease of trading with us, increase the ease of trading with our business. Naturally, as a central counterparty, we have access to the trades that the clients do with us and the positions that they create. We had some feedback from the clients that they wanted to see those positions quickly and easily transposed to them in a tool that they could work with so that they always knew where they were in terms of the positions that they had in our clearinghouse and specifically where they were in comparison to the regulatory position limits that we have within Europe. Again, this is quite a simple task really for us to just take the data streams that we already have, automate them, and then give the information back to the client on a very, very easy to use web delivered portal, which shows them live their position in our clearinghouse. Another example of something that we've done, um, and this really is a good example of where something simple and easy adds, adds value. And this was um, primarily aimed at some of the broker members that we have, um, but also is interesting to, to all organizations in the market. And this was just a very straightforward daily report showing all of the business that had been done in the market the previous day. And the only thing that was really different about this was that we use the resource that we have to take the time to make a report that covers the whole market. So not just the volumes that have been transacted on EEX and the open interest that we have, but also what's been done at our competitors. Of course, it might seem odd or even unnatural that we might provide information on the business that's happening in the whole market, whether it's with us or not. But of course, this was a service that the clients really wanted. It saves people a great deal of time to have everything collated for them and again, sent out in a report that comes just before the beginning of the European Business Day, giving them a single point of access for all the market information. And that to us, the value of that for our clients was much more important than the discomfort perhaps some people would have in disclosing the business, their business versus their competitors. So do you feel that this closeness to the client has added growth to the business? Absolutely. In the freight market, we're in a hugely competitive space. We're the newest exchange to come into this space. And without being able to bring something different, frankly, we would have very little chance of competing. We'd be forced to compete on price only. We can see in the results of the business, if we look at 2019 versus 2018, already this year, we've traded about 50% more volume than we had in all of 2018. Every single month of the year has been more than the month, the same month in the previous year. And we're seeing more and more clients sign up to our service and more and more trading with us regularly every single month. The feedback that we get is that this approach of being close to the client, of looking for ways that we can add value, is really appreciated 
And this is the reason that people are doing business with us. So is this kind of working practice unique to EEX? It's difficult to say if it's, it's truly unique. Um, obviously, we're not privy to every single activity yeah. our competitors are doing, un- unfortunately. Um, what I can say is the feedback that we get from the clients certainly tells us that it's unusual. Um, we are closer to our clients than many of our competitors. Um, the clients, I think, believe that we genuinely care in many cases. Some of our competitors are very, very large businesses and the question of how much they care about each individual product line is is very relevant. Um, so it's, it's unusual, yes. Um, it's something that we want to do more of. As I've said, the clients appreciate it and you know, perhaps, yes, that does make us unique. Of course, when we're talking about services and adding value and uh, EEX doing something which is a little bit unusual, um, we could consider this podcast. We thought this was something that would add value to our members in the industry at large, um, an honest and frank conversation with members of our exchange, um, our clients, other people in the industry and we want to try and bring a new perspective on some of the industry issues bring in people talk to them and just have you know as I say an an open and honest conversation in a way that really is very unusual in the freight space particularly um, and the global commodity space as a whole. Thanks so much for that Richard Um, and we've actually had some questions sent through from the previous podcast Uh, One of them in particular is a question that came up about the position limit regime and how it affects the business. Okay. Um, How does it affect the business and also the members? Yeah, that's a a good question. It's one that we get asked um, about by members uh, very, very frequently. Um, And there's there's really, before I get into the effects, there's really two things that I want to say about this. So first of all, the European position limit regime um, is a a regulatory aspect of our business um, and something that's common to all exchanges in Europe. It's also in fact common to all exchanges in major regulatory jurisdictions all over the world. There are position limit regimes in the US, there are position limit regimes in Asia and as I said you know at the beginning being a safe and secure and regulated space is one of the advantages that exchanges actually bring to these markets. And so we should always think about these regimes in the value that they offer to our clients, how they make the platform that we provide the safe space that it is. Um, EEX as a European business works within the European position limits regime, which is a part of the MIFID regulations. This sets a maximum limit that any individual member can hold in terms of a net position with our exchange. And this is really designed to minimize the risks associated with one or a very small group of members holding very, very large positions. The specifics of the regime are that it sets a limit for contracts to be held in the current, the spot month, and also contracts and can be held across all other months. The limits themselves are a function of the open interest at the exchange, and therefore it's something that over time we work with the regulator to change to make sure that they continuously reflect 
trading on the exchange and are at an adequate level to provide our members with the trading options that they need. The question actually is very timely as well. We recently increased the position limits on our Cape size time charter contracts by over 60%. And as I said, this is a function of the open interest on the exchange. So every time we increase position limits, this is also a signal of the increase in underlying business that we have and those new members and new customers trading with us. So another question that we've had is that you currently have two exchanges in the group offering the same contracts. Why is that? It's actually a really good example of what we were talking about earlier in terms of building our business around the clients and the clients' needs. And um, you're exactly right in what you say. In terms of freight contracts, our clients can trade freight with us through our European business, EEX, but also through our Asian business, EEX Asia, based in Singapore. And the reason why we set the contracts up like this is really purely based on client feedback. As we were building our freight business, um, we had a number of clients that told us that they prefer to run their operations in Asia. They would prefer to trade on an Asian exchange. They understand the local regulation. They're regulated by the same uh, entity that we are there, the Monetary Authority of Singapore. And so really they would prefer to be a member of a local exchange, trade their contracts under local law, than join what could be considered a foreign exchange in a different regulatory jurisdiction. So we had a look at our business um, and decided that we wanted to set it up in that way so that we could provide the client with a local exchange wherever they were. And as we talked at the beginning, the hotspots in freight trading really are in Europe and um, in Asia centered around Singapore, but Southeast Asia mm -hmm. as a whole. Um, and so we ran a project to create the infrastructure that the clients had wanted. Um, you can trade freight through both routes. You can choose the regulatory jurisdiction which best matches the objectives of your business. And we're now working on a project to roll this concept out a little bit further to look at how we can provide this footprint to clients in many different parts of our business. So lastly, something that came up in the previous podcast and a lot of people have asked about is the connection to the back office. Could you explain a little bit more about that? Yeah, uh, happily. That's um, a project actually that came out of one of the working groups. Um, I think if we'd done this podcast a little bit further down the line, it might be one of the examples of a service that we'd already, already delivered. But um, the basic concept is uh, to form a connection between the booking of the trade into the exchange by the broker and the middle or back office software systems that the traders have. And so the idea being that we, we close the loop really in, in the trade chain. So the moment that the trade is booked in by the broker, it's sent to the clearinghouse, but it's also sent to the traders uh, risk management back office systems. Um, the status, the live clearing status of the trades is updated in both. And this means that at the end of the day, when it comes to reconciling what the trader's been doing that day against the feed that they have from their clearing member, they have this input of every single trade which has been done on their behalf, what its status is, the history of that trade. And so 
we're running a little pilot project on this right now with, with a couple of lead clients. And what we found is that depending on the size of the client's business, this can save anything from 15 to 20 minutes to an hour out of their day um, because it makes the reconciliation process that much easier. I hope that uh, everyone listening has found this uh, interesting and insightful. If you have specific questions on this topic, you want to learn more about how you can interact with EEX on any of the parts within the trade chain, please don't hesitate to contact me directly. My email address is richard.heath at eex.com. Thanks very much. And uh, until next time, goodbye and thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Talking OTC Commodities, brought to you by the Global Commodities Team at EEX Group. If you'd like to get in touch with us or have questions relating to today's podcast, please feel free to email us at globalcommodities at eex.com. Further information can also be found on our website, www.eex.com.